This is the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. I'm your host, Sritha Visuasam. Thanks for joining us. The issue we are looking at today is one that may be covertly taking place in homes across the state. This issue being elder abuse. Welcome to part one of our five-part series that takes a deep look into elder abuse. To do so, we've enlisted a range of experts who will join us in the discussion, which we hope will provide you with knowledge and, if required, an ability to act in the event of this form of abuse taking place to someone you know. Joining us today is Melanie Justin, Policy Officer at Seniors Rights Victoria. We'll learn of the types of elder abuse, examine case studies of it taking place and what the victim can do to seek support. Before we get started, please hit the follow or subscribe button on your podcast player to keep up to date with all future Crime Stoppers Victoria podcasts. Hope you enjoy the discussion. Thanks for joining us today on the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast, Melanie. It's terrific to have you with us. It's good to be here. Fantastic. Well, we're here to discuss elder abuse. So before we get into the discussion, can you let me know what you do at uh, Seniors Rights Victoria? Uh, yeah, so I'm the policy officer at Seniors Rights Victoria. So Seniors Rights Victoria is a statewide elder abuse service. So we run a helpline that people can call if they want information, um, referrals, or if they want, as an older person, if they want advice from a lawyer and an advocate. So that's one of the services we provide. Um, and we also do community education, professional education, that sort of thing. Oh, that's terrific. Well, uh, yeah, it's great to know that there's a service out there for the community. And elder abuse is something that many people wouldn't really be that familiar with. How would you best describe it? Well, it has a sort of a formal definition, which is that it's any act which causes harm to an older person and is carried out by someone they know and trust. So essentially it's any time that an older person experiences some form of abuse and it's someone that they know. So we're not talking about scams, consumer scams or that sort of thing, Um, but we're talking about issues of um, financial abuse, emotional abuse, those sorts of things. It can also be neglect um, when there's someone who is in a position where they're supposed to be caring for the older person. Um, So most cases that we see at Seniors Rights Victoria, however, are family violence. Um, It's essentially elder abuse as a form of family violence where it's usually adult sons or daughters of the older person who are perpetrating that abuse towards their parents. With uh, it being classified as violence, what sort of violence are we talking So the most common abuse that we see is psychological or emotional abuse and that's things like threats, humiliation, pressure, all of those things that are recognised as family violence. Um, But we also see a significant amount of financial abuse. Um, So this can include stealing a person's money or assets, um, including getting them to sign over their property or change their will, that sort of thing, as well as just straight up stealing of cash or fraud. Um, We also see physical abuse, unfortunately, which is, as you imagine, like pushing, shoving, hitting, but also with older people, sometimes it's the use of restraints um, and we sometimes see this where a person might um, have a cognitive impairment or dementia. Um, And there is also sexual abuse um, and neglect um, where someone's um, care needs are not being taken care of. Um, And social abuse, which is quite 
common um, alongside a lot of these other forms of abuse where essentially you're isolating someone from their family or community so they're not getting the supports that they need. So it can be a whole range of a range of things. It's interesting that there's so many different types of abuse. I, you would Each of those different uh, forms of abuse warrant discussion. As far as them being an issue in the first place, what would you say is where it stems from? Well, because the most common issues we see usually relate to family conflict of some regard, and what we find happens is that as people age, their roles and responsibilities within the family change. And so perhaps as someone ages and they're seen as becoming more vulnerable and fragile and in need of care, Um, But then family members who can be opportunistic might see that this is their time to um, take over from their parents, take over the decision-making or perhaps force their parents um, or the older person in their family to um, do things that they they wouldn't usually. They see them as vulnerable, essentially, Mm. yeah. And is there any sort of studies that indicate when in... Uh, sort of age group that it's more of a problem? Um, Not particularly. We see mainly people in their 70s and 80s as our clients, Um, but we also do um, have clients who are in their 60s and those up into their 90s. And as you can imagine that people... Um, ageing is very different in all those different years. So someone who's 60 is very different from someone who's 90. Um, And so the way that they um, approach or experience the abuse is going to be extremely different. Um, But one of the most common things that we see is that it's most likely to occur when someone is socially isolated. So when they don't have those supports and when an opportunistic family member or a family member perhaps with some complex needs thinks that there's an opportunity there or that their difficult situation is sort of exacerbated um, by perhaps mental health issues, perhaps drug um, drug use, substance abuse. So we often have um, ageing parents who are trying to help their son or daughter who might be experiencing a whole heap of issues and things just get um, quite out of hand. Mm, so are you say, you're saying that parents who are actually being good to their kids are getting taken advantage of by their kids who might have an issue of their own. Yes, that is probably what the most common scenario that we see. We did we recently looked at our data over the last seven years and we found that almost 40% of the perpetrators of abuse um, had some kind of mental health issue that they were experiencing um, and about 35% with a drug or alcohol issue. So... The, the kind of situations we see are when someone has not, they've grown up and not left the family home because they've got these kind of um, complex needs that might make it hard to live independently or they've returned home when things have gone wrong in their own house. Um, they might have left their own marriage because of um, family violence that they might have perpetrated or they might have um, lost their job, things like that, and returned to live with mum and dad who were happy enough to help them out. But then the situation kind of goes downhill um, yeah, and and with uh, the different forms of abuse that you you referred to, what would you say? Uh, I know you mentioned the most common one. Uh, how else? What are the ones that you'd say uh, have cha- have increased in recent years? 
Um, we can't say for sure what has increased because we don't know um, how common it is. So at the moment, the Australian government is doing a prevalence study um, on elder abuse and that will make it clearer to us um, as to how many people out there are experiencing it. But we're going off estimates of about 14% of older people, which is reasonably high. Um, And that has increased and we expect it to increase more in terms of the number of people because the population is ageing. So we're all living longer. Uh, We're having smaller families, so older people are becoming a larger proportion of the population. And we definitely saw during the pandemic um, that there was an increase in emergency presentations to hospitals of older people and an increase in um, first when first responders were coming to a family violence situation where the victim was an older person. So we definitely saw that with those kinds of um, stresses, I guess, in society, um, alongside more people moving home to live with parents um, if they lost jobs or um, were forced out of the rental market, that sort of thing. So we're seeing an increase generally in the kinds of situations where elder abuse occurs, but it's hard to say that we've seen an increase in elder abuse because we don't have a very good measure of how often it's happening. It's very underreported. Most people aren't going to call the police or they're not going to seek help when it's their child who is doing this to them. Most people feel a sense of shame, I guess, and parental responsibility that the person that they've brought up is behaving like this. So they're very unlikely to seek help and usually um, only do so when they're really at the end of their their tether. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to learn that. You could say that there are some sort of parallels with mental health and, and going to see a specialist about personal issues. That's right. Yeah, it's really only once things get to a point where you can't continue in that way that people will sometimes seek that seek that help and there's not it's very difficult with families you know families are very complicated and it's never straightforward parents want to help their children children usually behave well um, but not always and then when you have things sometimes we see something we call inheritance in patients where you've got people thinking well mum and dad don't need that money they're going to die soon it'll be my money and so they start to make use of it Um, earlier than they need to and there's that sense of entitlement I think um, and that's definitely increased so I think that is um, having an effect on the type and the amount of elder abuse that we're seeing. Mm. So in terms of the the different forms of abuse that that really take place as far as uh, isolating your the elder member of the family from their friends or other family members, what sort of uh, examples can you provide in in, in that being the case? So sometimes as people age, they might end up having um, some more... They might need more help, basically, with health problems and things like that. They might need help getting around, getting to appointments, sometimes having services come into the home to assist them with um, their daily care needs or even just for social occasions to go out and um, be part of their community groups and and things like that. And what we find is when someone is living alone and they've got someone who is perpetrating abuse, um, the abuser is often prevents that person from going out or prevents services from coming in. So they might say to the aged care services, no, you can't come in and do the shopping for mum or you can't can't come in and do her showering and things. I'll take care of it. 
um, and then they don't they don't take care of it or they don't take the person to appointments that they might need to or they don't take them allow them out um, to where they might be able to socialize and talk about what what they're experiencing um, or seek any kind of help so they really can be quite isolated you know lots of older people um, are very good with technology and things but particularly those older age groups in the 80s and 90s are not connected on the internet and there's a big reliance I think from services to do everything online and so there's um, people there who if they're not out and about in the community they're not going to see what services are available on the internet so they're Mm. very isolated. I can imagine it's I guess with uh, these perpetrators, are there avenues where services or other friends or whoever that they're meant to link up with, are there any red flags to sort of keep an eye out for? Yeah, definitely we kind of, we recommend that if, if there's an older person that you think might be experiencing elder abuse, then the very first thing to do is talk to that person ask them, are they all right? Um, Is anyone treating them um, with disrespect or not treating them well? Um, Ask if there's anything you can do for them and listen to what they have to say. I think the mistake sometimes that is made is that um, we can come sometimes see older people as vulnerable and we think we know best and that we take over the decision-making. And we see this in families often where someone might say, oh, I can see that uh, my brother is doing this to my mother um, and I'm going to stop it where I'll take over, I'll start making decisions for my mother. But no one's going to ask the mother and saying, well, what do you want and what would you prefer? So we would say if people are... um, Some of the red flags might be if an older person sort of seems more anxious than usual if they're having trouble paying for things that they might usually, if they're not going out to the things they would usually go out to, um, not being as involved. Um, Other signs of abuse, things like bruising and things like that, that anything out of the ordinary that that is noticed. But the important thing is to talk to the older person about and ask them what's going on. Um, so that you can understand and then can assist them to seek the help that they want. Mm. It, it is it's great advice. Uh, lots of uh, types of abuse you, you, you referred to before and it's surprising that, I guess really eye-opening, that there can be so many different forms of abuse to um, uh, the, the elder community. As far as the the family members where there's multiple siblings what can you say as far as how they uh, are involved in these circumstances yeah sometimes we do see that um, it's just the perpetrator is perhaps one one of the children in the family but sometimes it can be um, perhaps a son and daughter-in-law or it might be siblings Um, there, there can be different forms sometimes we might have for example Um, an adult child who's said to their mother, you know, move in with us, sell your house, um, give us the money, we'll build you a granny flat in the yard or we'll build a bigger house that you can stay in and come and live with us and we'll look after you as as you age. But then things go wrong in the family, maybe that marriage breaks down um, or maybe things just sour and it's just not a happy environment and the older person wants to leave. Um, And then there might be difficulty with another sibling 
who's, you know, wanting to make decisions as well. So in those sorts of um, scenarios, we'd encourage the older person to call a service like Seniors Rights Victoria to talk about what they want and what the options are because sometimes things like family mediation can be um, really useful for situations not where there's abuse but where there's kind of family conflict and confusion about what decisions are being made for the future. Mm. Would the perpetrators in some instances, might be inadvertently abusing their family members? Yes, we, de- we definitely do see not so much the cases that we deal with, which usually seem to be quite the pointy end, like this is people who have um, tried many different ways of addressing the abuse and have come to a service like ours because they haven't been able to. Um, but definitely earlier in the process, there'd be people who are thinking they're doing the best for mum or dad, um, perhaps by moving in, moving them in or moving in to help out and those sorts of things, but not really listening to their parents' wishes, um, not involving them in the family or not asking exactly what they, they want. And parents may go along with things because they want to see grandchildren, they want to be involved with the family, they might willingly give money that um, they might think is, is a loan and the family member might have decided it's a gift. So sometimes you get um, confusion and, I suppose, regrets. Um, and it is, it is sometimes the way that people are unintentionally perpetrating abuse or sometimes not in a position to understand that um, they should be providing better care for their ageing parent. So we do, we do see a little bit of that. Mm. Yeah. Do you find that the the parents or or the the elder members of the family actually raise these issues uh, proactively? Uh, No, (laughs) often not. Um, Yeah, as I mentioned, because it usually is the adult children um, that are perpetrating the abuse um, or causing the trouble, the older person will usually have tried many different avenues to to change what's happening or to seek support. and will only come to us really when it's just untenable. Things just can't go on any longer. So I would say, if anything, um, people raise it very late. Um, and I can give you a, a sort of a long example, mm. if you like, of one of the cases that we we have seen. Um, so we had one case, and this is pretty... Um, this is a really common example that we see something like this, but where a man's life had been derailed after several car accidents and his injuries meant that he was no longer able to work. Um, And we'll call him Robert for the sake of Mm. this. His mother, Patricia, allowed him to move home and live in a caravan in her backyard. Um, But after some time, Robert became quite aggressive and belligerent and he was experiencing some mental health and personality issues um, and not seeking the support that he needed. Uh, When he decided the caravan was no longer suitable, he moved into the master bedroom of the house. So his mother was forced to share a room with another family member. And he became increasingly abusive and threatening. Um, He wouldn't contribute to the household. He demanded money from his mother for his addiction to prescription painkillers. So it was a really stressful situation. And his mother, Patricia, eventually became so stressed and unwell, she moved out. She was staying with family members for some time. Um, and as her health deteriorated, she was actually admitted to hospital, and this is where we became in contact with her because a social worker from the hospital contacted us and said that they had a patient and she couldn't move home because of what was happening in the home. 
And by this time, the house was in a state of disrepair. The neighbours were making complaints to a council and a fire hazard notice was served on her because of the state of the property. Um, And as it turned out, Robert would turn up um, to see Patricia where she was staying with a friend and he would drive her to an ATM if if she didn't have cash to give him and he stole from her about $20,000 in this manner. Um, And eventually, once um, Patricia was put in touch with Seniors Rights Victoria, we were able to let her know the different options she had and support her in using them. And one of those options was that a family violence intervention order was sought on the basis of emotional, psychological and financial abuse. And the magistrate was so appalled at the son's behaviour that he made an exclusion order so that police could remove Robert from the home. And so the happy ending is that Patricia was able to move back in and change the locks and get her life back in order. But the really unhappy aspect of it is she couldn't um, recover the money that that he'd stolen and she's now estranged from her son and doesn't have that relationship um, with him. So it's kind of... That's the sort of case that we would see very commonly. Um, Mm. And so that's the kind of complex issues that that we're dealing with. Oh, wow. That's, uh, That's really sad to hear. Uh, as far as the giving the money from the ATM, etc., mm. that I guess with, with, with the uh, the criminal aspect of it isn't easy to identify. Yeah, it's really tricky because often it's in the end you've got um, a son asking his mother, "Can I have this money?" and you know, obviously putting a lot of pressure on her. But in terms of the the bank's response, well, it's the mother who's going to the ATM and giving the money again and again. Um, extracting the money for her son, so it's that it's the the threats and the pressure that is is the real problem, as opposed to him just stealing her her card and taking the money himself. So it just shows how complicated it is. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a tough one. It's it's something that I guess you could call it a form of bullying. You definitely could. And I think that um, we've heard a lot recently about discussions around coercive control and I think that really applies to these kind of relationships because you really do have someone who is in control or is exerting their power over the other other person in a lot of small ways that add up to being a really, really difficult situation. And in the case of Robert, did he have any siblings? Uh, In this case, no. No, he didn't, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, as far as how things have evolved in the, in this world, um, have there been new considerations or new f- factors that have triggered uh, a rise in elder abuse? Um, I would say, I mean, we definitely saw with the pandemic there was more people that were moving back home with their ageing parents, um, but we didn't see an increase in calls to seniors' rights at this point. But we suspect a lot of that is because um, the older person was at home with the perpetrator, so they weren't in a position to call when when someone's in the next room listening in. You're not about to seek help. Um, so we have seen um, a sort of a slow increase over the years, I suppose, with um, the way that uh, housing is becoming, I guess, very difficult to obtain for younger generations. So you've got older people who are willingly... Um, going guarantor on loans for children or um, trying to help them get into the property market and things like that. And that can go terribly wrong when the older person is either deliberately taken advantage of or when something that 
was supposed to be a loan or was supposed to be an assistant because can't get paid back, um, you know, when the house gets sold for a loss and things like that. So definitely, I suppose, the the pressures of the housing market um, are adding to that. Um, but only because there is such a strong sense of entitlement, I think, in people to their um, parents' or family members' money mm. um, and the sense that... Um, younger generations sort of have a, have a sense that they've got more use of the money, they can spend it better than mum or dad can and they should be spending it. Um, so I think that that's added to it as well. Mm, yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting to, to see that, yeah, the economy and the like have, have play a role in, yeah. in, in this. And you wouldn't, from, you know, from an outside perspective, you wouldn't really think about it like that. No, you wouldn't. And, I mean, we also see, I suppose there's been an increase, like, we don't we don't think that the experience of having mental health issues causes someone to become abusive, but it can just exacerbate the situation when there's not proper treatment and support available. So we have found that there are a lot of adults experiencing mental health issues who have nowhere else to go and end up going home and living with their parents. And if they're not um, able to work and they're not getting the support they need, it can be um, a really difficult situation where we've got the older person is trying their utmost to get them help and to get them the service that they need and they just can't. Mm. I guess the reverse could apply as well as if the parent has a mental health or physical health issue then they might become a target for being abused. Yes, that's definitely um, a risk factor whenever the parent has, um, I guess, a cognitive impairment, um, including dementia or um, a a mental health issue or anything that perhaps leads them to rely on others for their daily needs. That's always um, a risk factor for Mm. abuse, yeah. So in, in the instances of aged care and where there might be abuse in that setting... How does that differentiate to uh, what we've discussed uh, so far? Yeah, in many ways it's exactly the same thing. You've got an older person who um, is in a situation where they should be able to trust those who are giving them care. And we saw with the recent um, Royal Commission into Aged Care that there are many instances where that care is just not being provided. Um, So there's a real failure, a systemic failure of care for older people. Um, And we also, there are horrible situations where we might have professional misconduct, where people who are being paid to care for someone um, are not providing that care. Um, And so really it does show that it can happen anywhere. And one of the problems is that's kind of underwriting all of this is just that um, we live in a fairly ageist society. And I think that often we don't, um, we don't show the respect um, that that we should to the older people in our society. We have an expectation that once someone's no longer earning a living, that they're not contributing in some way and that they're therefore not... um, There's no need to provide proper care. And I think if we look at the way the aged care system works um, and how the problems there have been ignored for so long and sort of continue to be ignored, it just shows that we don't put a high price on looking after the older people in our society and that's where these kind of problems stem from. Mm, it, it, that's fascinating. I, I guess with what's happened over the past 12 months with, with the COVID outbreak, aged care was a major you know, source of, of, of high cases and, and deaths, unfortunately. And I, I guess you could say that 
the perception for those victims might be different to uh, those in, in a younger age group. Yeah, I think that you definitely could see that sometimes where there seemed to be a bit of a, a sense that it didn't matter so much if the people that were passing away were were elderly um, and there was commentary around, all oh, these people might have died within 12 months anyway being in aged care, um, as though that made their life less valuable. So I think that that is a very common perception um, and it's one of the things that we're up against trying to get attention to this issue and trying to get people to change their behaviours. So the issues faced by elder Australians are taken with less significance, say, issues of uh, other Australians? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the very easy comparison to make sometimes is with childcare when we think about um, the type of care and things like mandated staff ratios and um, that sort of thing that that happens with childcare centres. And if we imagine for a moment that um, we had the same amount of um, COVID going through childcare centres um, or schools, that the reaction might have been very different. Um, there's definitely a sense that with people um, who are in aged care that, that they're very shut away and yeah, not as valued. Mm. In terms of the types of people who are subjecting uh, elder abuse on, on family members, would you say there are, are there any trends in terms of different cultural groups or uh, demographics? Um, not trends so much. I mean, I think the most common aspect is that it's around um, parent-child relationships in the abuse that we see. And so I suppose you might see some differences um, in various cultures and the way that those parent-child roles and responsibilities play out, where in some cultures you might have um, a higher expectation of what care is supposed to be provided to older people. Um, so that can be um, both a strength and a weakness because um, there's an expectation of a higher level of care, but that can also be a pressure on the younger person who might have other um, other stresses in their life as well as providing care. Um, so we definitely, there's, there's no particular cultures that sort of experience a higher degree um, of abuse. It's probably more that um, older people who are perhaps more recent arrivals in Australia and um, don't have English um, might find it difficult to access service and support or know where to go. Um, so that's probably one of the one of the problems, particularly if they're reliant on the perpetrator as their adult child to be that conduit to services and the community. Um, and sometimes, if we've got cultural groups that are quite um, closed or small, that people might not want to talk about what's going on in their family um, amongst those people and mm. seek and seek help. So, so that can definitely definitely occur. Mm, yeah, you can you can see that taking place and uh, I guess it's it's good that we're, we're having this discussion to really uh, bring awareness to uh, the fact that we need to be able to um, speak to those where, where necessary. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think it is one of those things that's difficult to talk about, um, but we've often found in our community education and uh, sessions and things like that that when one person speaks up, others perhaps will say, yes, that's that's all also a familiar situation or I've heard of this or this has happened to me. And so it is more common than people think because people are reluctant to talk about it. Mm. Well, the victims, what sort of impact uh, does it have on them? I'm, I'm sure it must be multi-layered. 
Yeah, we definitely see, I mean, as you can imagine, any to be the victim of any kind of abuse like this, particularly the sort of long-term ongoing abuse, it's very distressing. Um, it can have a huge impact on people's uh, mental health, their physical health as well. And when you that's coupled with um, a person as they're ageing and perhaps facing some age-related illnesses and disabilities, so it can really um, send a person's health downhill. Uh, one of the really sad aspects we see is... Um, estrangement from family which can be mean from grandchildren so that's often one of the reasons that people won't do much to take action against the perpetrator if it risks meaning that they will lose contact with their grandchildren Um, people will steer clear of that but sometimes um, what we've found when people have um, sought help from us and made the decisions along the way to stop the abuse from occurring that that has led to the estrangement in the end, for a lot of people, they really regret um, that the abuse occurred, but they they generally don't regret taking action, even if they wish they could have maintained a relationship. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah that's uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So when elder abuse is determined to have taken place or being picked up by someone else, and and they know that someone's been taking advantage of someone. What 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 tends to be the fallout from all that? Yeah, it really depends what the older person wants to do. Um, sometimes there's people have very good reasons for not taking action. Like they might be worried about what will happen to the the perpetrator, and if that's their adult child, they might be worried about well, where will they live? Um, who will assist them? Will they get the help that they need if they've got other things going on? Um, so there's kind of a whole raft of of things that people worry about and some people are happy to take action some people want it to stop and once they realize there are different things they can do they're very happy to have something um to go ahead with but it's it's never easy and straightforward yeah Mm. so for our listeners as far as what they can be mindful of in the community i guess People might not have even considered uh, this being a form of abuse that takes place uh, within the community and with to family members. What can uh, they take away from today as far as uh, just their general awareness in uh, the community as far as picking up on these particular issues? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is to remember that um, older people are people too. They can make their own decisions and they can um, be very clear about what they want. And I think we're very accepting of um, family members taking on that role of the decision maker or the person speaking up. And I think we need to be more aware of that um, and always checking in to make sure that the older person is a willing participant in whatever is happening Um, So if it's a discussion about someone saying, oh, you know, mum doesn't want to sell the house or she doesn't want to do this, you know, picking up on those cues as to whether, well, maybe mum has very good reasons she doesn't want to and just because someone thinks it's a sensible idea doesn't mean that it's the right idea. And so I think that those sorts of ways we can start to question um, the expectations we have around family relationships and decision-making and that's something to look out for. And with that, as far as people who might notice where, well, the perpetrators, how can you say that 
there might be a case of it taking place. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, it always depends your relationship to the older person or the perpetrator as to what kind of conversations you feel comfortable having. Um, Sometimes there might be other services involved and things and you can raise your concerns with perhaps someone who's working with the older person or working with the perpetrator um, about things that you've seen. Um, We've got a lot of resources um, on our website and in different printed booklets and things about what to do if you think that someone you know is experiencing elder abuse. And and the main thing, as I said before, is talk to the older person, um, talk to the perpetrator, question what they're doing perhaps, you know, find out if what their reasoning is behind some of what their behaviour might be um, and let them know that you're aware of what's going on Um, because I think, as I said before, some of the most vulnerable people are those who are isolated, those who don't have anyone um, checking in with them, who aren't um, spending a lot of time with people other than the potential perpetrator. Mm. What advice could you give to those who may have elder family members and might not be realising that they're putting forward some form of abuse on their, on their parents or, or our relatives? Um, I guess the the most important thing is to have those conversations and they can be really awkward. People don't generally want to talk about um, the future and so things like if if you're thinking about what what sort of care will you provide for your parents as they get older and you're discussing about whether perhaps they should come and live with you or not, those sorts of conversations, um, it's good to to have them and to document them. I think that's one of the things we often see, particularly with um, money or agreements, is things get um, decided in a family, but there's rarely any documentation. Um, And that can be really helpful down the track because people don't expect relationships to go badly, but sometimes they do. So it's about thinking about putting in some of those safeguards in place, um, having the conversations, being really clear with what you want. Mm, That's good. That's good to hear. I think... uh, yeah, having that um, that ability to, to document things can can be beneficial, especially when you might have multiple siblings and, you know, there's like a verbal agreement with one of the kids with the parents, but the other one hasn't been involved in these discussions. That's right, and people aren't always on the same page and we all know what siblings and families are like. It can be... Um, everyone can have a different version of things. So I think trying to have the discussions um, openly involve everyone who needs to be involved. But ultimately, it's ensuring that the older person is being listened to and they're making decisions about themselves and their life. And the victim, uh, if to seek support, uh, even if they're not a victim, but they might be feeling some sort of uh, discontent with their situation, uh, what, what support uh, mechanisms would, would you recommend? Well, we would always suggest that people uh, call the Seniors' Rights Victoria helpline as a a first-level support, and that's for older people themselves who might just have a situation that they want to talk about and sort of understand a little bit better if the things that they're feeling a bit uncomfortable with are abuse or if there are different ways that they could be dealt with. But also for um, family members or friends of the older person, people who have concerns about what they're seeing can call and talk to one of our advocates um, and better understand you know, what, what's going on and what questions they might be able to ask or how they can help the older person. 
Fantastic. And uh, as far as Seniors Rights Victoria, with the way their audience can connect with you guys, so what, what are the uh, avenues in doing so? Uh, the best way of connecting is um, through the helpline or through our website. Um, but we also we can also do community education and talks and that sort of thing to directly connect with different community groups and things like that. So the best way to to do that is yeah through our website. Fantastic, and uh, it's been terrific having you with us today, Melanie. It's I've certainly learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners would have found it very insightful. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add to our discussion today in, in terms of anything that we might not have touched on or any final comments? Um, no, I think I'd just like to end on that thing we were talking about before around ageism and I think it's always good for us each to check our own internal ageism and perhaps how we treat the older people in our lives. Terrific to speak with Melanie on elder abuse and how Seniors Rights Victoria can provide support to those in need. Please visit seniorsrights.org.au to learn more about Seniors Rights Victoria. Hope you've enjoyed part one of our five-part series on elder abuse. In our next episode, we'll be speaking to Victoria Police to learn about how they handle instances of elder abuse and the financial elder abuse trial. Thanks for listening to the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast.